today's message, I'd like to share with you about the cities of refuge from the Old Testament and its meaning in the New Testament. Also, towards the end of the message, I will go over some of the applications that is related to our day-to-day life as believers in Christ. I would like to begin with three verses from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 6, I will read from verse 16. For men indeed swear by the greater, and a note of confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled to refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. What I'd like to concentrate on verses that I read is where he says, we who have fled for refuge, this is referring to the Old Testament cities of refuge, we, as the believers who have fled to the refuge, and this is the reason why he says to lay hold of the hope set before us. And he goes on again by saying, this hope we have, an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. He's speaking of the veil, which was in between the holy place and the holy of holies. As you know, when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn apart. Spiritually, the way towards God's presence was opened through his sacrifice that Christ our Lord did. This verse goes more not just on earthly tabernacle or earthly sanctuary, but actually this hope that we have, it enters into the sanctuary in heaven. That's where our hope is. That's where it's going, in the presence of God. It's such a profound verse that tells us how our Lord Jesus has become our refuge, literally city of refuge, and in connection of, in the presence of God. Now, having read these verses, I want to go back to Old Testament. There are four places in the Old Testament that we read about the cities of refuge. First one is in the book of Exodus, second one in Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the last one is in the book of Joshua which this is where I'm going to read from. This is Joshua 20, and I will read from verse 1. When the Lord spoke about cities of refuge for the first time in the book of Exodus, he said he would set a place for the cities of refuge, but he didn't name them. He spoke to them right after he gave them the Ten Commandments in chapter 20 of Exodus. After he went through the Ten Commandments, following chapter in chapter 21 is where he gives additional commandments, rules, regulations, and it is in chapter 21 that he talks about cities of refuge. But the one I want to read is from Joshua. This is chapter 20, verse 1. The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of the blood. And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of the city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place, and he may dwell among them. 
verse 5. Then if the avenger of the blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally but did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled. Verse 7, So they appointed Kadesh in Galilee, in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, and Kidrat Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah. And on the other side of the Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness on the plains from the tribe of Reuben, Ramat in Gilead, and from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan, from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel, for the strangers who dwelt among them, that whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of avenger of the blood until he stood before the congregation. This is simply the rules and regulation for cities of refuge for the person who accidentally kills someone, not intentionally, not having a malice in his heart or hatred towards him, but just purely by accident when he kills someone, these cities of refuge were assigned for them. They are for the children of Israel, not only for them, but also, he says, for the sojourners, travelers who traveled through them, and all the foreigners that went through. Having this in mind, and the Lord already brought his people in the land of promise, and this is where the cities of refuge were. There are six cities, as I read the names, and it is obvious, for I read from the book of Hebrews, from chapter 6, that this is a picture of the gospel, and I have always seen it that way. It's just a portrayal of the gospel of our Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. There's four places in the Old Testament that speaks of these cities, just like the four Gospels that we have in the New Testament. Now, you don't get to see this right away unless you get into the meaning of the names of the cities. And I will go over them one by one, and understanding them, then you begin to realize that this is the Gospel God was preaching in the Old Testament. So the first city is Kadesh. Kadesh in the Hebrew language means holy, and that word in the Old Testament is always associated with righteousness. This is simply, the Lord is our righteousness. There is a name of God in the Old Testament, Jehovah Sidniku, which is exactly that, the Lord is our righteousness. See the picture of the man who accidentally killed someone. He's running toward the city of refuge, the closest one to him. The first thing he had to do, according to what I read, that he would go to the gate of the city. All six of these cities belong to the tribe of Levi. You know, the tribe of Levi, they did not have their inheritance. These are within the territories of other tribes that God assigned certain cities for the Levites to live. So this is where the Levites lived with their own families, children, and their flocks and whatnot. And all six of them were cities designated for the Levites. So the person running to the city, the first thing he would do is just come there and declare what happened. Obviously, he would say that he's innocent, it was a purely accident, and then the Levites in that city would take the case, examine it. Once they find 
that he is innocent, then they were supposed to welcome him, give him a place, and he was free to move around in that city until the death of the high priest. If the high priest died, then he was free to go anywhere he wanted to, go back to where he was in his house. Here's the picture. He's fleeing towards that city. If the avenger of the blood would catch him on the road to the city, he had the right, justified, he could kill him and he would be exonerated. He would not have any guilt by shedding the blood of the one who killed by accident. The manslayer had to flee to the city, make sure to get there before the avenger of the blood. Once he got there, all he had to do was just declare what happened. This is how all of us come to the Lord. The first thing we say, just as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he says, it's by heart that we believe, by confession of the mouth we are saved. So the first thing he comes to the city, remember, Jesus is our refuge. The city of, the city of refuge. And the first thing we said, we accepted our Lord Jesus and we were in the city. That's the Lord, our righteousness. That's what the meaning of Kadesh means. Holy, always linked with the righteousness. That's the first city. Second city is Shechem. I'm sure most of you remember from the teachings that Hamlet was saying. Shechem means shoulder. One of the sacrifices that they had to offer wherever they needed to offer, as the Lord said, was the peace offering. And in the peace offering, they would separate the shoulder and they would wave it for the Lord. That meant that the Lord is our strength. And that's the meaning of Shechem. In the New Testament, when the Lord spoke about the lost sheep, he said when he found the lost sheep, he puts it on his shoulder, brings it back to the flock with joy. Here's another one. The Lord is our strength, as the shoulder represents in this meaning. The third city of refuge was Kirjat Arba, which is Hebron. Hebron in the Old Testament means fellowship. There's two kinds of fellowship as believers. There's one horizontal between the Lord's people, and there's the vertical between the Lord himself. Hebron is the place of fellowship. You're lonely, you want to have fellowship, is the place to run. Run, in other words, spiritually to Christ our Lord Jesus. Run to the church, this is his body, this is where you get the fellowship. So these are just different aspects of Lord Jesus has become our city of refuge. You need fellowship, this is where you need to go. Fourth city was Bezer, Bezer means fortified place. It's another picture of how the Lord is the strong tower for you. This is where he becomes our helper in the way of under the shadow of his wings. Another one, run for cover under the wings of the Lord. This is where you get the shelter because it's a high tower. And that's the meaning of Bezer, the fourth one in the list. Fifth is Ramat in Gilead. That means height and exaltation. Height or exaltation. This is an, another place. Running to him, he elevates you to a level higher than where you were. From Isaiah 40, They that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. The Lord will lift you up at a higher level. 
in a deeper spiritual sense is what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians. Sitting high at the right hand of the Father where Jesus is sitting. That's our heavenly position. Running to him in conditions like this, the Lord is bringing you to that level in understanding, in spiritual growth in him. To see your position, you know, seated with him at the right hand of the Father. And finally, we come to Golan in Bashan, which means exaltation for joy. Quoting from Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is my strength. If you lack that joy, sometimes we go down, we lose that joy. This is where you run. Run to the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength is the meaning of that city. Now, after going through the six cities and meaning of the names, you can clearly see these are different aspects of the gospel of our salvation, how our Lord Jesus has become a refuge that we see this word and read this word throughout the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament in the same way. I said all this, but if you're sitting there, you never had a guilty conscience or a sense of unworthiness in your Christian life in many different directions, then today's message will have no effect on you. But you have that in, in your weaknesses here and there, in difficulties that we go through, in the things that we just fold under pressure and whatnot, having that guilty conscience from time to time, then today's message is for you. About 16 years ago, uh, I remember the date because there were specific things that happened that year, uh, that I went through a period of, I would say, one of my darkest spiritual times. Praise the Lord that the Lord healed me through that process, what I was going through. And I know during that time that was healing me, he brought me to this text in Matthew chapter 23. I'm going to read it for you and explain how I understood these verses from what our Lord said in this place. This is Matthew chapter 23. I will read from verse 29. This is Jesus speaking. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt, serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I sent to you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. Just hear how heavy this sentence is. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, which you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. As I said earlier, the Lord was taking me through some healing. I was in a dark spiritual time as I went through. But specifically this particular part of the Bible, what the Lord is saying is simply this. What he wanted from his people when he came to his people was repentance. That was his ministry. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Even his forerunner was saying that. John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
So repentance is what he expected from his people. But these people, during his time, they were saying, if we were instead of our forefathers, we would not have killed all those prophets. You see, not only they're not repenting, but they're saying we are better than them, better than forefathers that killed them. And Jesus said to them, since you're saying this, unrepentant heart, your guilt will remain. What guilt is that? The guilt of killing the first man, Abel, his blood was shed, all the way to the one Zachariah that he named. In other words, at the end of all things, there will be two bodies, the body of Adam and the body of Christ. In the body of Adam, there's a great number of good people, decent, moral, but if they do not come to the Lord for salvation, they will stay in the body of Adam, whether they have done everything bad, evil, or not. I'm just saying this for all of us to understand. It makes no difference. The guilt of the body of Adam will be the guilt of shedding the blood of first Abel all the way to the last person whose blood was shed. I mean, that's so horrible to think that guilt that will take hold of the body of Adam in that way and they will be judged in the same way. Here's the point. Whether you're a mass slayer or not, you know, you have to understand this. If I'm speaking of cities of refuge to run to the city of refuge, you may say, well, I'm not a mass slayer. It makes no difference if you're a mass slayer or not. That's the point. If it was an accident, you're still a manslayer, and the person died. If it was premeditated, the judgment was already in the Old Testament. You shed the blood, your blood has to be shed. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for life, that was the law in the Old Testament. You see, robbery was murder. Murder was robbery. Hatred is murder. Makes no difference. If you're guilty of one, you're already guilty of the other one. That is exactly the point of running to the cities of refuge. That means the whole humanity makes no difference what we have done. That's our position as part of fallen humanity. God looked at the people of the whole world. He says, there is no one righteous among them, not even one. I mean, it's hard to believe, but that's God's word. There was not one among them that was righteous, and that's the verdict. All the cities, as I said earlier, there were cities of Levites. Levites were the spiritual people of the Lord. They were the ones that supposedly, through their knowledge of the Lord and His word, illuminate their own people, reminding them constantly that they are not earthly people, but they're heavenly people. So the Levites were in charge of that city. Manslayer comes to his town. What they needed to do after they find him not guilty, provide a place for him, welcome him, and show God's grace to this person until the death of the high priest. He was free to move around anywhere in that city, but he could not come out until the death of the high priest. In the Old Testament, when God spoke about the cities of refuge, he gave an example. He said, what happens when there's an accident and somebody dies? He said, if a man goes out to, into the woods with his neighbor to cut down a tree, in the process of chopping the tree, he swings his axe, and for some reason the axe head flies away, hits the person, and the guy dies. 
that's just a pure accident. This is the example that the Lord brought. The guy dies. Here's the man, his neighbor died because of this flying accident. He had two choices. Go back to his hometown in his city, he would say, this is what happened, it was an accident. I have no malice in my heart towards that person. He was my neighbor, I loved him. There was no use for him to stand in his own town and say all this, I'm innocent. Yes, he was innocent, it was purely accident. The only thing he could do is run towards the city of refuge. Now, the Lord said that the highways that went to the cities of refuge, the roads that took you there, He said you have to clear it from any kind of rubble, clean it up, maintain it, no stones, nothing that would stumble the person who was running to the city. Here's how concerned God is for persons who were running towards the city. Another thing, all the six cities were on a high mountain, every one of them they're on a mountain. The way is clear, you can see the mountain, the road is maintained, clean, there's no obstacle, you cannot go wrong. You see what I mean? The mountains there, this is the road, this is the way I'm going to run. How it interprets for us as believers is this. At times, all these six names that I just explained earlier, when you're in need, you know as a believer where to run. It's obvious. I mean, the mountain is there, the road is clear. Jesus is the one to run to. But sometimes you choose not to. In this case, if they don't go to the cities of refuge, the avenger of the reward, if he would have catch you on the road, he would kill you, and he would have no guilt upon him as far as the law was concerned. So the first thing it is, you had to run. Now in this example, as the Lord said, we know the neighbor that died, but who is the blood avenger? Simply, the blood avenger is someone that is related to the guy who died. He takes upon the responsibility upon himself. This is a family that probably was robbed of a father or a son or a brother. So he takes the responsibility to go after this person. And that's what the avenger of the blood is. The Lord said when the manslayer goes to the city, the first thing was that he had to declare his case. And assuming that right after him, the blood avenger comes after him. They're both in the city, and the spiritual people of that city, the Levites, decide the case. They found that he's not guilty, so he's free to roam. The responsibility of the avenger of the blood was take the verdict of the city, elders of the city, and just stand back and be satisfied. He had, again, two choices. Either stand back, accept what they said, which is according to the word of God, and then leave satisfied. Or leave unsatisfied. He would feel that I was cheated. What kind of a justice is this? He killed the one. He could have uh, go out of the city unsatisfied. Now, how does that relate to us? Very simply, we are in the New Testament, we are in Christ. The Lord says, forgive one another. There's all kinds of verses in the New Testament that talks about forgiveness. He says, in fact, just forgive one another as God has forgiven you in Christ. Jesus himself said, when standing and praying, forgive those who trespassed against you. That means they're the ones who injured you. The avenger of the blood, if he's angry, he's not satisfied. Because there is a great deal of satisfaction in taking revenge. 
Here's the dark side of our fallen humanity. There's a great deal of satisfaction by retaliation, by taking a revenge and get back at people the way they treated us. But you can walk away, be satisfied. If you forgive the ones who injured you, is this a loss for you? Quite the contrary, it's a gain. You're gaining Christ in this way. And by forgiving, you're making what God said to be his last word for you in that moment, in time, in your experience, at that place. We always say God has his last word. Well, he says, forgive. If you forgive, you make that his last word for you in that moment, in that experience. And by doing so, you're not losing anything. You're gaining Christ. And that's how you are being conformed. You know, during this pandemic time, which is about 20 months already that I've been working from home, I personally did not have that much social time with different people as I always did. You know, you go to work, there's a whole bunch of people you socialize with, especially where I work, different backgrounds, different religions, you name it. The ones I had was with you, the body of Christ. You remember initially we were Zooming every night. So that's the gist of all the socializing that I had during this period. Last weekend, we went out to the Northern California, and because wherever we go, we like to mingle with people, talk to them. If there's a new culture, get to know their culture, eat the food they eat. That's the one I like. Enjoy little things of life. And there's always, when you're mingling people, there's always the opportunity to talk about the Lord and whatnot. What I realized, my fellowship was limited with the Christians, I realized when you talk to the normal people, normal, I'm saying ordinary people. <laughs> ordinary people, what I realized, the lack of soundness of mind. And when there's lack of soundness of mind, they are always dominated by fear. You could be talking to a Christian, especially the kind, you know, that one day they give their heart to the Lord, but they never grew in the Lord. They don't know a word from the Bible, or they don't fellowship and whatnot, but they're still born again. You know, they gave their heart to the Lord. And I say, praise the Lord for the sound mind that God has given us. It's been a long time that my wife has been quoting this verse. It's from 2 Timothy. It says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. At least she's quoting that to me three or four times a week. This has been a while, you know. And I got to appreciate the soundness of mind of the believers. Otherwise, you'll be dominated by fear. Three, four weeks ago, I was listening to the Bible as we went out walking. Coming to Psalm 112, I heard this verse. Felt like I heard it for the first time. This is what it says. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid. The translation that I was listening, verse 7, it says, He will not be afraid when hearing bad news. That's evil tidings. The righteous will not be afraid when they hear bad news. Again, back to the ordinary people. When they hear bad news of any kind, some of them act or react such terribly, 
you feel like it's end of the world, but to you, having experience with the Lord, going through difficult times, and how He was with you according to His promises, you know. When I heard this, as I was walking, here I am with uh, my earphones, I have my hoodie. As I walk, I don't want to burn my head under the sun. All of a sudden, with joy, I said, Hallelujah, with a loud voice. Then I realized, looking at that direction, I'm listening, I'm considering in the Bible. I don't know who's, who's next to me. Who, I, and I just kind of quickly looked around to see if I didn't scare anybody. Because I, I don't want to look crazy person in the street, especially when you have a hoodie on. People very quietly pass by you. I guess it has a bad rap have the hood on. Anyway, that's how I got excited. The righteous will not afraid when they hear bad news. And that's exactly how the Lord works, because you're trusting in Him, and all of this has to do with it. In closing, I want to say this. The man slayer, he was free in that city, anywhere he wanted to go as a citizen, until the death of the high priest. After the death, he was free to go back to where he lived. That's the ironic priesthood in the Old Testament. High priest died. They were people, normal people. But guess what? Through the death of our Lord Jesus, we have come to the city of the refuge, the city of refuge. Christ is the city of refuge. And what is more, he is our high priest, and he is not dying. Amen. My first thought was I was meditating on this. I said, well, am I stuck in this city? <laughs> of course, I'm joking. But just realize where you are. You're in Christ. You're in the body of Christ. Out of this body will come the bride. Being part of the bride, you will be part of the heavenly Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Where do we have to go? Being citizens of heavenly Jerusalem. We have nowhere else to go. Are we going to go back to where we were, the way we were as an unbeliever? No. That's the grace God has given us. As much as he has given us in this conquered land, by conquered land I mean by the finished work of our Lord, he has brought us to our inheritance. Can we afford to be as gracious as our Lord? Yes, of course we can. And there's a great satisfaction, not only a great satisfaction in there, but there is a great gain because you're gaining Christ and the conformity to his image. Amen? Amen. May the Lord bless you and multiply his word that together as his people, we can be as generous close to what our Lord and our God has done for us. For others, for the believers, for those who have lack of faith or whatnot, bring them up, be generous as much as we have been given. Amen. I will close this with a prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for today. I thank you that you're continuing speaking to us in every which way, in all directions, bringing your Son, our Lord Jesus, in the perspective of all that is going on in our life, even the little things, to run to Him in different directions, run to Him in different times, as we go through different circumstances of our life, as at the same time, be generous as the Levites were supposed to be in that cities of refuge, Lord. Father, it is our prayers that we want to be that people. We want to be as generous in every sense of be able to forgive and forget just as you have forgiven us. As you said, you have 
put our sins in the depth of the ocean and you don't remember them, Lord. We want to be that way, in the same way, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that you're working through every single individual in this place because every one of them are your children, including myself, Lord. We are one body, part of your body that stand here, glorifying your name, thanking you, Lord, for all the work that you do in and around us as you are making us grow into your body, Lord. We say we love you, Lord, and all the work that you do. And our prayer is that you would continue, as you have promised, all the way to the end. In the precious name of our Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you.